This message is brought to you by Moira Pentecostal Church. We hope that it will encourage, challenge, and inspire you in your walk with God. Well, before we get into God's Word today, I want to just, uh, I just want us to pray. And is this in the right spot? Am I supposed to be here? Should I, okay. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us. We thank you, Lord, for your purposes here today. Thank you for, Holy Spirit, having your way inside of us. Lord, we thank you that your word does not return void, but it accomplishes what you sent it to do. So, Lord, we just thank you, God, that you're sending out your word today and that it's going to bear fruit in our lives, Lord. We thank you for lasting fruit in our lives. Lord, we just stand today and we bless Northern Ireland. We thank you, God, for your purposes over this nation, over this this part of the world, Father, we thank you, God, uh, for just your spirit moving in a fresh new way. We plead the blood of Jesus around this country, Lord, that there would not be violence here. There would not be turmoil here, but there'd be peace here, be a place where families could enjoy life and raise a new generation. And Lord, thank you for helping us to raise a new generation, to serve you and to walk in your ways. So I just thank you so much for this opportunity today to share your word, open our hearts and our minds in Jesus name. Amen. Today, I, you know, so many things the Lord's put on my heart, but I just wanted to uh, share with you just a little bit about my journey. You know, I had a, I had a scholarship to play basketball in college uh, back in 1992. Actually, I graduated uh, high school in 92, and God, you know, how many know God likes to mess up our plans sometimes? Has he ever messed your plans up a little bit? We, we get it all figured out, and then he says, no, I don't want you to do that. And so I'd work for and pretty much from eighth grade on to get a scholarship to play basketball in college and uh, in university. And I was offered a scholarship, and then God says, I want you to give that up, and I want you to go to Bible school in Sweden. And so I ended up kind of over in this part of the world, not too far away, living in Uppsala, Sweden for a year and attending uh, Bible school there. And it was a life-transforming time because, you know, you can grow up as a a minister's son and grandson. Actually, I have ministers on both sides of my family going back four generations. So I don't know if I had any any uh, chance of not being a minister. You know, God had his, his hand on my life and a mark on my life. But um, it was just very interesting because uh, I came home and I got to travel with my grandfather to 30 different nations doing ministry and relief work and meeting presidents of nations and going in, into orphanages and just loving people and just, you know, getting a practical experience that was just, un, un you know, just very unique. And so uh, I just thank God for those times. And I look back on it in amazement. If I would have gone to university, I would have graduated May the 1st of 1996. My grandfather went home to be with the Lord April the 28th of, of 1996. And so literally wouldn't have had that time with him and wouldn't have had those experiences or met the people that he introduced me to. And so um, I just know that the Lord's hand was on it. I went on later to go to Old Roberts University and study business management. And I believe that God, you know, how many knows he wants us to take care of practical things on the earth too. We're we got our head in the heavens, but we're, we're on the earth, and we got to do things here on the earth. And so um, uh, I've got a beautiful wife. Her name is Sarah. we got three beautiful children, Zoe, Judah, and uh, our new addition, Abigail. And God has been so good to us. And uh, Tessa and Johnny have been very good friends. You know, we were able, that's actually where I met Pastor Gotti for the first time, was at their wedding because I was also participating in their wedding ceremony. Tessa grew up in my grandfather's church and used to babysit my little sister. So it's kind of weird to be on the other side of the world and still feel like you're hanging out with people you're, you know, uh, friends with. And so very special to be here and an honor to be here. And appreciate you so much opening the door for me to come. The Lord opened a door for me to go minister in London. I thought, I'm not coming all the way across the ocean for three days, you know. If I'm coming over here, I want to come and hang out with some, some other folks that I know. This trip for me has been very special, and maybe this is more personal, but the Lord has talked to me about this trip being about my heritage and about my identity and my destiny. You know, as I said earlier, uh, people think, you know, that uh, they thought thought that I might be a local with the red hair, right? And so uh, all my family in the natural, you know, the Summerall's, the name actually came from Somerville, uh, was the original name, and then Thirsts and Hordes and Hats and and McCulloch's and, you know, all, all came from somewhere in this vicinity. We're not from Africa. We're not from Asia. We're from this part of the world. And so um, very much it's about heritage. But also, you know, my grandfather, Dr. Lester Summerall, he spent a lot of time in this part of the world. He 
uh, when he traveled the world, for those of you who don't know much about his story, he was supernaturally healed by the Lord of tuberculosis after the doctor had signed his death certificate. He literally was uh, laying there dying, had weighed, weighed only about 70 pounds, and he had an open vision of a Bible the size of the wall and a casket that was, quote-unquote, just his size. And, and so God put it before him of whether he wanted to preach the gospel and live or whether he wanted to, to die that day. And the doctor had signed his death certificate and given it to his parents and said, you're going to need this to get a grave plot tomorrow. So it was a very grave situation, no pun intended. Um, uh, <clears throat> but but it's a very serious, serious situation. And so, so basically God radically healed his body. He was able to go forward and start ministering. And he ended up hooking up with a man named Howard Carter, who was the general superintendent and chairman of the Assemblies of God of Great Britain and Ireland. And so he was a mentor to him, and, and, and it was a, he was a man who very much, you know, just, you know, a lot of times we have Pentecostals who, you know, in America we have Republicans in name only, they call them rhinos, you know, then there's some people that are Pentecostal in name only. They believe in speaking in tongues, they believe in all this stuff theoretically, but then when someone prays for the sick or someone you know, does something that Pentecostals usually do. They go, oh, what are you doing? You know, it's making me uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> are you here with me? It's kind of quiet in this Presbyterian church today. <laughs> but it was just interesting because Howard Carter, he was a truly spiritual man who did walk with God and did hear God's voice. And so he was actually in London, and God had spoke to him and said, I'm going to send you around the world on a, on a trip to share about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And when you go around the world, he says, I'm going to send a companion to travel with you. And he's going to be a stranger. And he's going to come and, and meet with you. And, and there's going to be a connection, a divine connection. So at the, around the same time, this would be uh, December of 1931, my grandfather was in a little town called uh, Dyersburg, Tennessee. And he had a white suit on. And he went in. And he was preaching in a place that had a dirt floor, a little schoolhouse building. And as the worship was going... All of a sudden, he went into a, a uh, had a spiritual experience, went into a trance, and he had an open vision where he saw all the diversity of the nations coming down a road. He saw the Chinese and all their beautiful ethnic garments. He saw the Africans in their ethnic garments. He saw the Irish. He saw the Scottish in their kilts. He saw everyone in their ethnic garments from around the world. And as they walked down this road, he said, God, what do you show me this for? And he says, this is the road of life. Everyone has to travel on it. He said he saw a group that went off and exited off to the right. And as they exited off, he said, who are those? He says, those are the ones who've been de declared righteous because of the blood of Jesus. And so then the, the group continued. And all of a sudden, they came to a great precipice or great edge. And they began to fall off the edge of life into hell. And many of them would tear at their flesh and curse God and cry out. And he says, God, this is so horrible. Why are you showing this to me? Why are you showing me this vision? He says, because it's your fault. He says, I'm, a, I'm just a kid from Florida. How can this be my fault? I don't know these people. I've never been to those countries. And as he, as he cried out to the Lord, God said to him, I want you to read Ezekiel 3, 17, 18, and 19. But it basically says this. It says, if you don't warn the wicked of their wicked ways and they die in their wickedness, I will require their blood at your hands. And he saw blood running through his fingers. And he started crying out to the Lord, God, God, how do I get it off my hands? He says, you have to go to the nations. You have to go and share the gospel. So if you wondered, wow, gee, that guy went to a lot of countries. You wonder why he was so motivated. It's because he had a mandate. He had a, a heart and a passion to go to the nations because he knew that God wanted him to share the gospel with people all over the world. And he had many experiences where he would come into foreign countries where he'd never been. And he'd see people that he literally recognized from the vision that God had given him before. And so I know that it was very unique and very special. Well, at the same time, God was speaking to my grandfather. He was speaking to Howard Carter. So my grandfather was over there in a little town called, uh, let's see if I can remember off the top of my head, uh, in the middle of Oklahoma. And he was in Oklahoma, and he literally had a week of meetings. And all of a sudden, he was out praying one morning, and the Lord said, he was in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And the Lord told him, he said, I want you to quit these meetings in Shawnee, Oklahoma, and I want you to go to Eureka Springs, Arkansas, which was about a four-hour drive. Uh, you know, and they didn't have uh, M1s back then. You know, you had to kind of drive country roads and had an old car. And so he drove over there and canceled the rest of his meetings and went there. And when he walks up to this Assemblies of God church, here's Howard Carter out front. He doesn't know who he is. He's never met him before. And by the Holy Spirit, he just says to him, I'll go with you over the highest mountains. And he's thinking, no, I won't. Why am I saying this? You know? And he says, I'll go with you through the lowest valleys and over the tempestuous oceans to preach the good news of God's love that came through Jesus. And, and, and Howard Carter wouldn't let go of his hand. He says, young man, you need to come back with me 
to my hotel room. I want to show you something. And there, a year, this is years later, this is almost two and a half years later, the same time my grandfather was having a vision of the nations, Howard Carter had this prophetic word that he was going to travel around the world and God was going to send him a partner who would be a stranger who would speak these words. And there, word for word in his journal was the words my grandfather spoke to him on the, on the sidewalk. And so it was just an amazing connection. So my grandfather traveled the world with Howard Carter, and they went through China while Mao Zedong and Shanghai Shek were fighting for power. They went on the Trans-Siberian Expressway across Stalin's Russia. They went into Hitler's Germany. They actually came back to dear old England and lived here for, uh, in, in the U.K. For, for quite a few years. And then it was because of the war that they actually asked my grandfather to leave. But it was during that time that he had the chance as a, as a 20-year-old young man to spend time with Smith Wigglesworth and Howard Carter and, and uh, the Jeffrey brothers and a lot of these spiritual Pentecostal pioneers that pioneered here in this land. And so I feel connected. I know that was a little, a little bit of a long story there to kind of give you some background, but I feel connected personally to, to this place because of that, not only because of my national heritage, uh, being a Somerville and all, but but, but literally because of the spiritual connection to this place. And I believe that God has great things for Great Britain and Ireland and Northern Ireland and that God wants us to tap into those deep spiritual resources. You know, you could, you could be a multimillionaire. You could have 10 million pounds in the bank and lay down in the grocery store aisle down at Tesco and cry and say, oh, I'm starving. What am I going to do? Because if you don't access the funds you have in the bank, you can't use them. And so you could have these great spiritual resources and riches here and live like it's no connection to you. And I believe that God wants us to reach in, tap into those things by the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and connect to those things. Amen? Um, let's, let's go ahead and look into the Scriptures today before I get going here too much. We're going to start out with... Uh, you can turn your Bibles to uh, Jeremiah 29.11. One of my favorite verses, always a good place to start. A lot of people have religious ideas, wrong ideas about who God is. You know, we, we sometimes feel like God's hiding behind a tree with a stick ready to hit us when we make a mistake. But that's not who God is, amen? He's, he's, a, he's a loving, heavenly Father. He loves us. He has a purpose for our lives. And I think Jeremiah uh, twenty nine eleven is a very great reflection of that. He, he says this. He says, For I know the thoughts... That I think toward you, says the Lord. So there's a lot of people out there saying things, but this is what the Lord's saying. He's saying, I, I know the thoughts I'm thinking to you. He's not mad at you. You know, people, sometimes we go around, we think God's mad at us, or that, that, that it's something that we have to, to perform to get. But he says, I, he says, I know the thoughts I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you, to give you. You mean I don't have to work for it? No, to give you a future and a hope. God has a glorious future for you. And sometimes we just, we, you know, the enemy gets us into the despair. He gets us into places where we want to quit, where we want to give up, where we, you know, we just feel like we're all alone. Even think about the prophet Elijah. Remember when Jezebel was chasing him, he's, he's over there crying and whining and saying, I'm the last one left. You know, sometimes that's a little bit of a victim mentality we take on. There's no one else. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's going to do right here in Northern Ireland. And God says, you know what? There's still 7,000 who haven't bowed their knee to Baal. It's okay. There's others. And I'm going to connect you with that remnant. I believe there's even people here. God's going to bring more people into this church and into, the, into your connection, into your sphere of influence. There is more people who, who love the Lord and want to serve Him and want to see His purposes for this nation. So it's, just so it's so important for us to know that He does have a future and a hope for us. But continue on reading there. Just Sometimes it's the only verse we read, but He says this, And then you will call upon me, verse 12, and you will go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. That's so amazing. If you don't get anything else today, I hope you get this. You can go and talk to him, and he's going to listen to you. You might not get somebody else to listen to you. Maybe go down to Parliament. You might not get a polit politician to talk to you. I've traveled all over the world, and sometimes it's hard to get a pastor to talk to you. Thank God for Pastor Gowdy actually answers his phone. You know, Some of these guys, they've got, you know, it's easier to get to the prime minister than it is to get to the pastor, you know. But he's, God says, he says, you're going to call me and you're going to pray to me and you, I'm going to listen to you. Thank God for that. Amen. And look what he says in verse 13. And you will seek me. You'll seek me. Sometimes we forget about seeking after God. If you, you know, if you had a diamond ring and you had it in your pocket and you lost it, how many know you'd probably go looking for it? 
I know last night we were down in Newcastle taking a nice walk. Pastor Gotti recommended that I try the, the ice cream at, at Mods. Is that what it was called? It was really delicious, I must say. But we had, a, we had a major crisis. The Northey family had a crisis second to none. Jackson's pacifier went missing. And we were like, Lord, what are we going to do? And so the decision is, do we find a pharmacy to buy a new one? And think, are we going to go all night without one? Of course not. We're not doing that. I got kids. I know. You know we're, this is real life, okay? And so we decided to seek after it. And guess what? We sought after it, and we found it. It was right down the way, and he had thrown it out, and it was falling right, laying right there next to the beach. We got it. And it wasn't even sandy. Praise God. <laughs> but my point is, obviously, when there's something that's of value, you seek after it. And God wants us to put value on a relationship with him, to seek him, to go after him, to pursue him. And he says that you will seek me and another promise there and find me. Uh Oh, there's a condition. When you, everybody say when you. you. He says when you search for me with all your heart. God is looking for you to open up your heart. See, this whole thing is about our heart. Sometimes we can try to micromanage our lives and we want to become little Christian robots and do exactly what we think we're supposed to do. And God's like, just relax. Be who you are. Be yourself. You know, we were talking about this. There's so many different ministries around the world, and it's funny to watch some of these ministries that are literally like franchises, you know. It's like, you know, when you see a Starbucks here, you see a Starbucks there, they all kind of seem the same. You know, sometimes church denominations are like that. And even charismatic Pentecostal churches can be like that, where they try to talk the same way. And praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother, glory to God. You know, and they got all the right words. But it's like they just can't be themselves. And see, God hasn't called us to try to be fake. He just wants you to be authentic. That's why even people in the world, sometimes we can't reach them for Christ because we're too busy trying to convert them and not just befriend them and just love them, share the love of God with them. So that's, that was a good introduction. All right, you ready for that? Now it's time for the message. We're going to talk about the love of God on us, in us, and through us. The love of God on us, in us, and through us. All right? So we're going to go to just a few pages to start our journey. And that is in Jeremiah 31.3. So if you got a, a pen and paper, you might write some of this stuff down. I'm not going to keep you here till you know, we're not going to have one long service from, tonight to, till, from now till tonight. But we are going to take a break and, you know. But I, I, I really feel like it is so easy for us to just read the Bible and we kind of pass it by. But what I prayed for when I prayed for these meetings and for this time is, you know, the Apostle Paul, he says, talks about the spirit of wisdom and revelation so there will be illumination in our hearts and our minds. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take this. This is not just a nice message from the, the American guy who came. Yeah, I remember the American guy who just came through and, hey, I talked about the Bible, blah, 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 you know. Great, that's nice. But I want you to hear this is a word from the Lord for you today. Do you hear me? He wants, to, he wants to reveal himself to you in a very fresh way. He says here in Jeremiah 31 and 3, The Lord appeared to me of old, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And yes, he says, I will, with loving kindness I have drawn you. I will continue to draw you with, his, with my loving kindness. How many know that we fail and we blow it and we mess up sometimes or we fall short? The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes we can get so self-righteous and think, well, I haven't fallen as short as that person has, right? Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisee. Remember, he's standing up there at the wall where there's a man up there beating his chest going, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that man sitting over there, the Pharisee, is looking over and going, I'm glad I'm not like, I'm glad I'm not like that other man. And Jesus said, which one went away justified? The man who was beating his chest, who realized, I need God. See, that's even what it talks about in the Beatitudes, that it's those who are desperate for God, who realize their need for God. We need God. We're not righteous in ourselves. We can't be righteous in ourselves. It won't work. And so it's important for us to know that he's drawing us, even in our, sometimes in our failure, and sometimes when we've blown it, he still loves us. And sometimes, again, we have to get it in the right context. I believe there's something so powerful about the fact how God set up humanity. We're born as children, so we know what it's like to be a child, and then we become a parent, and we get to know what it's like to be a parent looking down on our child. I can remember several times when I'd walk in my little girl's room, and I would look over her, and I heard the Lord say to me, in the same way that you're looking in on her, I'm looking in on you. And he's watching over us because he's our father. He loves us. He's got a purpose and a plan for our life. He cares about us. And so he's drawing us to be close with him. Let's look over 
at the next verse here, and that's going to be John chapter 3, verse 16. I don't, does anybody here know that verse? Has anybody heard that verse before? Yesterday we had the privilege of going to the Hill of Slain, and uh, just going there, I know a lot of people, I'm sure, uh, can turn it into uh, some weird idolatry as far as uh, idolizing St. Patrick in some strange way. But you know what? I believe that he came with a heart to preach the gospel to the Irish people. And the cool thing is, is it, was, it, was, uh, it was something that started the, the, the momentum to touch the whole nation of Ireland and to bring the gospel to Ireland. And so it's like that same power of the gospel. It's amazing. We're here looking at a, a, a place that goes all the way back to 433, but the reality is that this gospel hasn't changed. The power of the cross hasn't changed here in 2014. It can still bring transformation to lives and transformation to nations. Thank God. And this gospel is encapsulated in this. For, for God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe upon him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. We need to remind some church leaders of that, don't we? God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He wanted to bring about salvation. He wanted to bring about transformation in our hearts and our lives. A lot of times you hear a lot of preaching about revival. I, I want to take it a step further. God doesn't want to just revive us. Some people, they never had revival, so they, they can't have revival. <laughs> Are you with me? I, sometimes I like to mess with words, you know, so I'm sorry if it bothers you. But, but the thing is, is that God wants to revive us, but he also, he wants to bring societal transformation. He wants to change us. I remember years ago, God said to me, be changed and be a world changer. How can we ask God to change this nation or change this world if we won't let him change us? Be changed and be a world changer. Those things in our heart. Again, it goes back to the heart. He says, if you'll seek me with all your heart. What does it say in Proverbs? It says, it's out of the heart that flows the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. And sometimes it's so easy to let things get into our heart, but then it controls who we are. And then we're not sharing the love of God because it's not coming out of us. But see, that love, it's not only that he's put it out there on us, but it's something that he wants to put inside of us. And even as Christians, just because you came to an altar and you prayed a prayer, that's wonderful. But see, that's like somebody at the start of the race with a starting gun. Boom, the starting gun went off. Is that the end all be all to pray a prayer of salvation and then waltz out and just kind of, well, I'm saved now. Well, praise God, you're saved. It's like someone saying, hey, I started the race. That's 26 miles in the marathon, but I'm just going to go home now. It's like, come on now. It's a life. God's called us to live a life for him that's empowered by his Holy Spirit, empowered by his love, empowered by the reality of helping us to reach out and share the love of God with people. It's not some uh, you know, evangelism thing. It's so funny, we, we love to go on missions trips all over the world, and I love to go on missions trips. But sometimes it's kind of funny that we like to go on missions trips because we can go preach about Jesus and then come home, and those people don't know who we really are, and they don't see us cursing and being angry and see us at work and you know, rah, 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 and talking rubbish, right? Uh-oh, it's quiet again in here. But it's like God wants us to have the gospel and the love in our real life. It should be very real to us. It should be very, very real to our, our spouses. It should be very real to our children. I mean, I've, I've met so many ministers, I'm sure Pastor Gowdy has as well, that are anointed by God, but just on a very practical level. They're very rude people. They're, they're, they're not very, you know, practically speaking. They're, they're not really nice to their spouses. Their kids maybe hate them. It's like, you know, that's really not the vision for me. You know what I mean? Maybe somebody wants to live that life, they can go ahead and live that life. But for me, I want to live it in my real life. Are you with me? It's like, it's, it's for our real life. It's not for some other life. It's for us living the life now, living the love of God out in a very practical way. Let's look over to the book of Hebrews. Actually, before we get to Hebrews, let's go to Romans. Chapter 5. Romans 5. It's quicker there. The Lord loves you so much. He loves you with an everlasting love. You see, it's so interesting. Sometimes we're raised in religious homes or, or even non-religious homes 
and it's our perception of the father, it has to do with how sometimes we were raised. Some people, they didn't have a father and a mother in their home. You know, you got one extreme, maybe an orphanage, but then you got some extremes. Sometimes parents are there, but they're not there. They're completely tuned out. And, and, and other times, you know, there's been divorce and different things go on. And, and a lot of hard, hurtful things. And, and, and it, it sometimes affects our perception of how we see the Heavenly Father. And the thing is, when you say He loves you, you, you think, boy, does He love me like, like that person who abused me? Does He love me like the pain that I went through? And we, we might not want to even talk about those things sometimes, but it, we just hide those away in our heart. But what it does is it tries to undercut the very trust that we have in the Heavenly Father because we had hurts and pains. See, I believe God wants to heal those things in our heart and give us a fresh revelation of who he is, not who we've tried to make him out to be, not the God who's hiding behind a tree with a stick to beat us when we fail, you know, but the God who loves us and who, you know, corrects us. It's not all just ushy-gushy love. It's the fact, it's his love that corrects us. When you see someone who lets a child go wild and just do their own thing, it's because they think, well, gee, they can just do whatever they want, but that child's going to come to hardship because the, one, the child who love, he loves, he corrects, it says in Hebrews, right? So let's look here, Romans chapter 5. We're talking about the love of God. See, we're talking about a love that was not just talked about. This isn't an ethereal love. It's a practical love. It's a love that's been demonstrated by the fact that he gave us Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely a, a right, for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates. Everybody say demonstrates. He demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise God. He loves you so much. And again, it's not an ethereal love. He's, show, he's shown us his love in his son. Jesus is the embodiment of the love of God. It's almost like, you know, working in, 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 I was talking to a gentleman out here who sold cars, you know. It's like somebody say, hey, I, I want to buy a car. Yeah, well, great. Put some earnest money down. Show me, show me that you're serious, you know. You can have a lot of people who are quote-unquote tire kickers, what we call them in the States. They want to come by and talk. they got a lot of wind, you know. They'll talk about this and that and the other. But it's like, well, I don't really have any money, so I can't buy a car, you know. <laughs> or I can't buy a house. God didn't just tell us that he loved us. He showed us that he loved us. He made the deal. Thank God for Jesus. Amen? Verse 9. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only that, but we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. That's sometimes what we wrestle with inside. And, and what a religious spirit would try to deceive us into is a performance-based walk with God. That we're trying to, to, you know, whether it's a Buddhist who's burning candles, or whether it's someone who's over here worshiping an idol in the forest, or whether it's someone who was up at Stonehenge yesterday worshiping summer solstice, trying to reach out for some deity, something out there somewhere. But see, the good news is that the gospel is he reached out for us. It wasn't us reaching out for him. He reached out for us. Thank God. And so the thing is, is that, you know, we can, we can understand that on a mental level, but maybe because, you know, little Johnny, well, if you're good and you get a, you get a B in school and you do good in classes, then we're not going to whip you and we're not going to give you punishment or we're going to give you a reward. We still think in those, in those terms when it comes to God. If I'll do three good things and God's going to bless me. It's not that we don't want to live a good life, but the reality is we can't make ourselves right through our goodness. We can't try harder to get his goodness. He's already given it. If I give, if I give you a gift, you can't, oh, I'm going to try hard to get it. Well, here, I'm giving it to you. And so we get into this self-righteous mode where we're trying to perform, trying to perform, and the enemy kind of gets us running in circles, you know? And it's like we're shadow boxing with ourselves, trying harder. And see, the thing is, is that it's the, the, old, the old adage they'd say in the States is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? 
Did we perform right? And then God decided to accept us? I know a lot of times when we invite people to come to church, hey, would you come to church? Well, let me get a suit and tie, and when I stop drinking and I stop having my troubles and I stop having, you know, then, then I'll come to church and, and be proper, you know? And it's like, I don't know why we think that, but again, it's this mindset. We have to make ourselves right before God will accept us. But the good news is he accepted us before we were right. He made us right. Isn't that beautiful? It's powerful. And so it's, it's, if, we, if we don't have this foundational thing, you know, if you go down here and talk to a builder, you can't have three rocks just laying around and say, hey, let's build a skyscraper here. You got you to gotta have the right foundation. You got to have a blueprint. You got to build it right. Otherwise, guess what? It's not going to stand. It'll fall over. It, it won't stand the weather. God wants to build your life in the right way. And many of us, sometimes we come to a place in our life where we're struggling and we're going through challenges and we don't know why. But it goes back to challenge some of these very foundational things in our life. And if you don't know that God loves you and you still have this thing in the back of your mind somewhere that he's mad at you or that you have to perform to get his goodness, then guess what? You're always going to struggle with faith. Because the Bible says faith works by love. If you don't understand that he loves you, it's hard to believe. I don't know how many times I've been at a place with a parent and I see a child who's willing to get up here on the stage and jump off into the arms of a parent. But then guess what? I'll go up there and I'll put my arms out and they're like, I'm not jumping to you. I don't know who you are. Right? If we don't know who God is, if we don't have a right image and picture of who he is, a revelation of who he is, then it's hard for us to trust him. And the Bible shows us, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because those who come to God must believe that he is. That he's God, that he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. That he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, we can't believe God to touch Northern Ireland. We can't believe God to touch the world. We can't believe God for a new building project fix. Or we can't believe him for this or that or the other. If we don't, first of all, know that he loves us. It's foundational. And that love is something that's so practical. You have to know it. And when it's inside of you, guess what? You're going to love your spouse better. You're going to love your children better. Because now it's not just on you, but it gets in you, and it starts coming through you. It starts becoming very real in a very real way in your, in your normal life. And so it's just, very, it's just a very foundational concept. And I know this is very basic. You've probably heard... Pastor David talked about this a hundred times, but maybe I'm just here to be another voice with a different accent to tell you the truth again. <laughs> God loves you, and he wants that love to flow through you. Look with me over to the book of Hebrews. We've kind of already gone over this concept, but it basically says, it says this, it, you know what? Go to Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things. Everybody say all things. Amen. Through whom also He made the worlds. The bottom line there is Jesus, again, is the embodiment of the love of God. He's spoken to us with His Son. Sometimes, we, you know, there's so many different movements in churches, and I've met so many different people. Hey, Pastor Gowdy, would you give me a word? Yeah, I, had, I got a whole book for you. <laughs> right? It's like, this is definitely, you know, the logos, and we need a rhema word. I believe, I believe in getting prophetic words, you know. But, but it's just so funny. I remember years ago, my grandfather had a, a line of people there to get prayed for at the church, and one lady and her and her husband had gotten separated in the line, and they came up to my grandfather afterwards, and they looked very sad. They didn't know what to do. It said, somebody, somebody proph they prophesied to us that I'm supposed to be a missionary in China, and he's supposed to be a missionary in India. You know, what should we do? He says, go home. <laughs> Just go home and be yourselves, you know. But it's like sometimes, you know, the, when prophetic words come forth, 
usually when you know they're from God is they confirm what God has already spoken to you. I'm so glad that, that God doesn't li- deliver my mail to someone else's house. And so it's important to know, we know the shepherd's voice. You know, there's a lot of voices in the world. Even there's a lot of voices in the church. But you have the ability to hear the voice of God. Did you know hearing the voice of God is so important in your life? You, you could be directed by the Holy Spirit. See, a lot of times we want to just depend on the pastor. That's why so many pastors want to quit and get worn out because you, everybody expects him to do everything, you know? Maybe God wants you to come early and help set up the chairs. Maybe God wants you to help with other things too. That's not a condemning statement. I'm just saying God wants us to participate in all that's going on and not just, well, he's called to do it. He's the, he's the person, you know. He's the person, the leader. The Bible says that God's given apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. <laughs> it's pretty wild, isn't it? It's amazing. But in Hebrews... Let's look over just a few pages to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. We're talking about understanding how God loves us. Talking about entering into a place of rest. Living from a place of rest. If we're always going to be striving and struggling and trying We're never really at a place of peace to just be. God wants you to be. Did you know that you're not a Christian who's a part of the Christian religion, but you're a son and a daughter who's a part of the family of God? It seems like it's splitting hairs, but it's very actually a very different concept. When I wake up in the morning, I'm I'm Lester Sumrall. Not because I woke up and went, I'm Lester Sumrall, you know? No, I just happened to be born into this family. That's just how it happened. I didn't try, you know? And so the thing is, is that when we're born again into the kingdom of God, the beautiful thing about this revelation is it changes my relationship to to God because he's my father. It changes my relationship to you because you're not just the pastor from Northern Ireland, but you're my brother and you're my sisters. When we go all over the world, we meet other parties of the body of Christ that are part of our family. How exciting is that that we got family all over the world? Because it's it's a revelation of sonship, of who we are. Sons and daughters of God, heirs of God, the children of God. Amen? But, but part of it is this rest in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 17. Now with whom was, was God angry? Was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to those to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? Verse 19. For we see that we could not enter the rest because of unbelief sometimes we have more faith in our sin than we have in the blood of jesus we we you know when we talk about righteousness the devil comes and condemns us you know we we, a lot of times we want to join right in and condemn ourselves too because we're like i should have i should have known better i shouldn't have done that i'm a better person than that but see that goes back to the self-righteousness i should have been we're you know those somervilles we're good people we would never do that kind of thing you know but the thing is, is that my righteousness isn't any good. It's righteousness that only comes through the blood of Jesus. But they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. Okay? Look on to chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of us seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. See, God could tell you, I mean, think about this. This is almost like a romantic relationship, the man and a woman. You could tell your, your, your girlfriend, I love you. I want to marry you. Well, I don't believe you. I don't know. No, no, I don't want to know. No, I don't, I'm just not going to take it. I can't believe it. No. Well, then guess what? You're never going to be able to get engaged. You're never going to be able to get married. You're never going to be able to have children. You're never going to be able to, you know, continue on with a new generation because unbelief. You just don't believe it. And so it's like when God tells us he loves us, when he, he pours it out and shows us with his son, if we choose not to accept that, we can just walk around like everybody else in the world does and we just live like everyone else in the world does because we don't live as children of God. We don't live as sons and daughters of God in covenant with God. I love when, 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 when David is out in the field. Remember what he said to Goliath? It's kind of a profound statement when you think about it. He said, 
How dare you defy the armies of the living God, you uncircumcised Philistine? How many know that the sign of the covenant was circumcision? So basically what he was saying was, I'm in covenant with God and you're not. God's on my side and he's not on your side. And so my, my point is, it's so important for us to live as people who are in covenant with God. To really embrace it. Again, if you have all the pounds down in the bank but you don't access it, guess what? You don't get it. Romans 5 says, by faith we have access into this grace. If you don't have your little smart card, you know, I, I try to use my credit card here and think, oh, it's one of these old ones, you know, got to swipe it, you know. It doesn't have the special pin code on it, you know. But you need access to access this grace. And thank God he's given it to us. He's given us all a measure of faith. We have the ability to tap into this, and it all comes from knowing that he loves us. So keep reading here just for a few. He says this, verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. When you come into a place of knowing that God loves you and you believe in that love, guess what? You can enter the rest of God. You can live in a place of peace. You can live in a place of joy. You can live in a place of freedom because you're not sitting there trying to perform to get the love of God because he already loves you. He says, so I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, verse 5, again, this, in this place they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains that some must enter, and those to whom it may, was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day when David said, Today, as such a long time it has been, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, going back to the story of Moses and Joshua, then he would have afterward have spoken of another day. Verse 9, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. He wants you to come into that rest of knowing His love. He wants you to come into that place where you're not striving and struggling. Verse 10, For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. God created the worlds and then he rested. It's like God wants us to come into that place of like knowing, oh, you love me. And see, what happens is we, we want to perform to get to be right with God. But once that transformation takes place in our hearts, good works come out of that. He changes us. It's a, tra it's a fundamental transformation of our hearts and lives. So many times we're looking at what I call behavioral modification. Now, you shouldn't do that, Johnny. You shouldn't do that. You should do this. And we try to get our kids to do certain things. But what God is after isn't just to try to get us to change our behavior. He's after changing our heart so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus. We can be transformed. You say, boy, that's impossible. That will never happen. Well, if you're going to live in a religious world and just kind of, you know, go through the motions, you're right. That could never happen because you're just a sinner barely saved by grace. You might, if you try hard enough, you might barely get in, you know. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is he loves you. He can transform you. You can come into this place of rest. Turn with me quickly to Philippians. We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to either wrap it up or I'm going to start a new company selling air conditioning, you know. <laughs> Philippians chapter 3. The Lord loves you so much. You're special to him. Do you know that? Philippians chapter 3 says this. Finally, my brother, we're going to start at verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, for he, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. He's talking about people who are literally trying to force the law on these other people that they had to be circumcised physically and not just the circumcision of the heart. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day. was what they're supposed to do according to the law. I'm of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Remember, they actually put their coats at Saul's feet when they stoned Stephen. So he was very much a part of the, the persecution of the church. Concerning the righteousness of the law, blameless. Boy, that's a statement and a half, isn't it? I know I wouldn't qualify for that one. Verse 7, But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. The original translation, I believe, says dung. I mean, does anybody want any dung in your house? You know, we need to kind of throw it out. You know, we need to get it out. And so, it's just so important. He says, I throw it all out, this rubbish, this trash, that I may gain Christ. And I wonder if they use the word rubbish because there's some Brit writing it. Do they think they use the word rubbish? We don't really use that word too much, but. Verse 9, and to be found in Him. Everyone say, in Him. You're in Christ. That's the beautiful thing is when God looks at you, He's not looking at you. He's looking at Jesus, the high priest, your high priest. He's about the only attorney you can trust. Sorry for any barristers out there. I'm not trying to bag on your profession. But Jesus is our advocate. He's our attorney. He says, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, that performance-based stuff. He says, I don't have my own righteousness, which is law, but that which is of faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. What did they die in the desert from? Unbelief. How is God going to get you to overcome? He says, it is by your faith that you overcome this world. Over in 1 John. It's important. Verse 10, that I may know Him. How many want to know Him? Raise your hands if you want to know Him. And the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death, if by any means I also may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I really believe that God, He wants you to know. What, what did Jesus say? He said, the two commandments. He's not asking you to do a bunch of stuff. He's saying, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, some the different versions say. But I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. God wants to put His love on us. He wants to put it in us so that it'll come through us. So many times I know in America we have people that we, we might disagree with them politically. I don't know all the complexities of all the things that have happened here in Northern Ireland. I know that there's, there's been arguments and the shedding of blood. But see, God wants us to love people regardless of all those things and not allow. You know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. How many know that? Even the disruptions and the troubles that have happened here, it's a spiritual fight. And if you try to attack it in the flesh, guess what? You get fleshy results. But if you come at it in the spirit and say, God, we just plead the blood over our nation. And we thank you, Lord, for pushing back the forces of darkness that would try to cause unrest and trouble here. Guess what? God can deal with those things. God can cause those people's things to not work if they're going to try some terror attack somewhere. I know in America, there's been so many testimonies of things, you know, that they don't ever really want to come out in the media and say it. But people that had bombs or they had things and they just didn't work. And it's like, praise God for that. Because we don't know everything. But guess what? God knows every, everything. And then guess what? He can keep this place safe. He can keep, the, he can keep this place set aside for his purposes. But where do you come in? You come in with loving these people regardless of what's going on. Loving from the heart because it's God who does that. He says, love your neighbor. Did he, did he say, love your neighbor if they're not a unionist or if they're not a Republican? or Love your neighbor if they're not this or they're not that. No, he said, just love your neighbor. Because guess what? We're going to run into all kinds of people in the world. But what did Jesus say? He says, what, what credit do you get for loving somebody who, you know, who thinks like you and thinks exactly like you? You know, it's, it's loving people even when it's uncomfortable sometimes. Because guess what? Again, it's not you. It's him in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you reaching out to people. Just saying, hey, God love you. God bless you. Maybe it's, it's not something super spiritual. Maybe it's baking some cookies. Or I don't know what you make over here. Some shepherd's pie. And taking it over to him saying, hey, top of the morning to you. Would you like some shepherd's pie? You know? <laughs> that probably sounded super corny. I'm sorry. But it's about sharing the love of God in practical ways. 
And so I, I just, I just, I wanted to just share it here today to, to just, God just wants to make it very practical for you. Sometimes it's easy for us to come to church and we go through the motions and we, you can come smile at pastor, but God sees your heart. He sees where you are. Sometimes, you know, we're trying to, you know, praise the Lord, you know, once a month, you know, hello, glory to God, hallelujah. Oh, let's get out of here. Pastor's going to read my mail. He's going to start prophesying to me and tell me what I, he knows about my, my life. He used to crack me up about my grandfather. He had those big blue eyes, you know, and he'd look at you and it's like, oh, Brother Summerall looked at me and I think, he, I think he knows my sin, you know. He knows what's going on in my life, you know. <laughs> I don't think God always tells people stuff. Sometimes he does. But the thing is, God knows where you are. And again, he's not mad at you. He's not pointing a finger of condemnation at you. He's saying, I love you. I want to transform your life. It's not going to happen through your own goodness, through your own works. It's going to happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word today. We thank you, God, for your people. Lord, we thank you, God, that there remains a rest for the people of God. Lord, that we don't have to try, we don't have to perform, but we can enter this rest by faith. By faith in your love, Lord, you've given so much. Lord, you've given so much. You didn't come to condemn us, but you came to save us. You came to transform us. So God, I just bless your people today. I thank you, God, for your spirit moving in their heart and their life, for being more real than what they've ever known, a fresh revelation of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come upon them in special ways. Thank you for dreams and visions. Thank you that they can hear your voice. Lord, open up our ears so we can hear your voice afresh and anew. Lord, open up the Scriptures to us again. Give us a hunger for Your Word. Lord, that we really want to open it up and we really want to get in there and hear what You're saying to us. Lord, that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Lord, we need You so much. Lord, thank You so much for this day. Just bless all the families. We just bless all the marriages here today. Thank You, Lord, for harmony in the homes. Lord, just for Your love working in practical ways in our community, Lord, here. Thank you for giving the church different ways to serve the community in practical ways. Lord, that your light would shine. Lord, you said that as we shine our light, that people would come. Lord, if we lift up Jesus, people would come. So we thank you for the the work that's been started here. We thank you that it's going to continue on and be more uh, fruitful than it's ever been in this next season. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more messages like this one, visit us online at www.mpc.org.uk. You'll also find a selection of informative videos at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal.